A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 9. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you, as we always encourage you to track along with us through the Word. This sounds a little tinny up here, or I'm getting a weird echo. Um, And if you guys would, while you're flipping there, join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, Father, with... Lord, there's a lot of announcements today, and God, it's... um, Lord, it's good to see you working through the hands of those in this place. Father, I know I received word of, Lord, um, just the faithfulness and the kindness of our church this week through those who are ministered to by them. And Lord, I'm thankful that you've begun to use our church this way and that you continue to teach us what it is to love the way that you love. And so, Lord, I ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would continue to, Father, speak to us, that you would continue to, Father, tug at our spirit and have us consider whether we're truly replicating your heart. And that, Father, we wouldn't serve out of obligation, but, Father, we'd serve out of our desire to worship you with every aspect of our lives. And so, Father, lend us your Holy Spirit. Overflow this place now. We ask this in your name. Amen. And so, as we get into the Word today, for those of you who are able, let's stand and read the couple verses together. We're going to look at verse 35. I'm getting better about this. I know I've been inconsistent about the standing thing, but yell at me if I forget. But verse 35, if you're there, would you say amen? It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, in healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had great compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You guys may be seated. So... There's no coincidence that as we get into the text today, we prayed through and decided to bring this prayer request to you as we would consider to consider to be used by God to minister to those who need to be ministered to. And so as we look at the text today, the few questions that we're going to run into is, um, are we preaching and teaching and do we have compassion for those that the Lord has compassion for? And, hey guys, this still sounds super weird up here. I don't know if you can take that out. Um, but the first thing we see in verse 35, I know we normally do a review, but 35 allows for it, is, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So if you've been tracking with us for some time, you, clearly we're in the book of Matthew, and we're about to wrap up Matthew chapter 9 after... It might be two months we've been sitting in this chapter and we've been seeing Jesus 
on a mission and on a string of miracles where he would heal and he would restore people both from illness, from demon possession, and he would restore their souls as he says, your faith has made you well. And he's been doing all of these things in the area of Capernaum. And so more broadly, we're speaking of Galilee. And so when it says Jesus has gone into all the villages teaching in their synagogues, this is the area that it is speaking of. And this is the area that Jesus is, in fact, ministering to. And here we see something interesting that I want us to pay note to is that it says that he is teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see a distinction between preaching and healing. You might even say preaching could be replaced with the word evangelism, depending on how you want to parse the words up. But I think oftentimes we conflate the two when these two things are actually very different. And so this this section of the teaching is probably a little bit more for the note takers today. But when we're talking about our gifts and we're talking about what we do as believers and as Christians, we are called to both teach and to preach. Now, obviously, some are more gifted in one and some of the other. I know I would say that I've read many commentaries and something I strive to do is to install both teaching and preaching within each of our Sundays. But the two are actually different. The difference between preaching and teaching is that preaching is primarily geared towards life change, while teaching is primarily aimed at transferring knowledge. And so as we break this down, the definition of teaching is to cause to know something, to cause to know how, and to understand. And so for the teacher, and this is something that we've spoken about many times, is that a pastor's role in teaching And this is something that's important for all of us to understand is that a pastor's role when it comes to teaching is to not, we're not called to be inventive with the Word of God. The Word of God is sufficient as it is already written. Our job is to explain what it clearly states here already for those who may not understand what it's saying. And the way you might be permitted to be creative is to maybe tie this truth to something that is modernly true, but it's still supposed to be the same thing, so that you would have an understanding of what the Word already says for itself. Again, one of the reasons we ask for you to open up your Bibles, for you to have a Bible in hand, is so that you can verify that I am teaching what this book says. And so if you guys are ever going to a place or a church that would claim to be a church and the Bible is never opened, I think a safe and healthy question for you to ask is what are they teaching them? Because I'll be honest, it's really easy to put together 45 minutes of something, but 45 minutes of something does not mean that it's 45 minutes of biblical truth. There is much wisdom in the world, but not all of it is godly wisdom there is a difference between earthly and heavenly wisdom and then we look at preaching to deliver a sermon or to urge acceptance or abandonment of an an idea or course of action and so as we look at these two things teaching is providing the necessary information for someone to make an informed decision 
A teacher is to give you everything that you need so that when it comes time for you to make a decision, you would be able to make one in right mind. A teacher's job is to not cultivate emotional decision, but knowledgeable decision. Amen? Preaching is proclaiming and encouraging a person to make a decision with the information that they know or are supposed to know. C.S. Lewis would say it like this, where God gives the gift, the foolishness of preaching is still mighty. But best of all is a team of two, one to deliver the, pre the preliminary and intellectual barrage, and the second to follow up with a direct attack on the heart. Both tools are absolutely necessary as a person needs information to truly surrender to Jesus. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> in the culture that we live in today, specifically noting the church culture that we live in today, is, <clears throat> and I don't know how many of you really know this, is that there's many churches who actually do have to report numbers of success. And so when it comes to Sundays, they look for full seats. When it comes to Sundays, they do count the amount of people that move forward and come forward to become saved or they raise their hands to receive Jesus. There's very rarely ever the question asked whether any of these actions are in fact valid. They just want to authenticate that ministry is happening. But a danger that can come with an overly simplistic altar call is that there will be people who raise their hands and have no idea what it is that they're raising their hands for. That they would raise their hands in an emotional circumstance because <clears throat> if we're very honest, as we have been there, when we are in a mode of desperation and we're in a mode of need, and I hear that saving is tangible, I might be inclined to raise my hand quickly without considering the requirements of what it is to call Jesus Lord. We have to remember that what salvation is, is to admit and confess that I am a sinner, confess the sin, and then repent of it as we surrender our lives to the Lord. Is that while the, our gift of salvation is freely given to us, it does come with the cost of surrendering everything we are to the way of God. And there are many who have been manipulated at the idea that if you just raise your hand, everything will be made well with no life change required. But the Word tells us that a believer is known by the fruit, the, the spiritual fruit that is cultivated in their life with their relationship with the Lord. And relationship comes with surrender. They should know that Jesus isn't just an emotional baggage carrier. He is the Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that a person resigns control of their life to in order to be saved. And you know what's amazing is <clears throat> over the past several weeks, I know I've been able to brag on the church a little bit here, is that the Lord has been extremely faithful to use your hands to be ministers of the gospel, especially as we have been able to um, provide outreach service here in the church. I wish you guys could be here, and you're welcome to be here, actually. If you want to come and serve, please come serve. We could use your help. But if you come in, we have been absolutely inundated with people coming in and seeking assistance. 
And there are absolutely people who come in and they just want financial aid, as many people do, but they come in and the amount of times that people have been deferred to my office and others to hear the gospel. Who is this Jesus that you're talking about has been absolutely amazing. And I would say that there's one particular conversation that stuck out with a young woman this week is she came in seeking aid through one of the resources that we provide in the front. And she went from office to office and she was helped as much as she was able to be helped that day. And it's a woman who has fallen on hard times and someone who typically probably shouldn't be walking around as she is not in a life without danger. But the next day she was compelled to come back to the church just to ask questions about the Bible, to ask questions about Christ and to ask questions about his word. And we sit down, I sit down and have this conversation with her and she hits me with all these great questions and we start working, I'm like, okay, well, let's start with what the gospel is first. And we start talking and they do some teaching and we go through the word and show her what the word actually says about a few of these things and then we get to a little bit of the preaching. But we don't go too far in preaching because what she would state is that she's like, I don't believe this now and She goes, this all sounds really good. I didn't know any of this, and I'm inclined to want to believe it. But I need to know that it's true, and I need to know what is required of me before I would just say a prayer like that. And (laughs) as as a preacher, right, you have this weird tension. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Like, I would love for you to just cry out to the Lord right now. However, what a wonderful thing it is to genuinely, if I'm going to surrender myself to Christ as Lord, to know what it is to be wholly surrendered to Him. To understand and acknowledge that this isn't just a flippant life change, but this life change actually requires that I completely change everything about what I do and who I am. Not that she would change it, but the Lord would change that. And I think much of the church should ask that question. Have we considered what it is to be surrendered to Christ as Lord? Have we considered what it is to be surrendered to him as the ruler and dominion over our lives? Because many of us use the word savior, but not many of us use the word king. Many of us live as though we have been saved, but not many of us leave as though we're taking our call and cue from anybody else other than ourselves. But here, this woman says, I'd like to read more of this Bible and learn more about who this Jesus is before I would make too quick and flippant a decision. There's oftentimes when you go and ministering in countries where the gospel is forbidden, that people genuinely do need to consider whether this Jesus is worth following. And I say that sentence, and many of us here are like, did he just say, is Jesus worth following? I believe Jesus is worth following, and that's a strange thing to hear in this country. But we don't live in a country where if I choose to follow Christ, I lose everything. I gain everything in Christ, but I no longer have a physical family. I'm going to be removed, I'm going to be kicked out, I'm going to be left destitute as I choose to follow Christ. And brothers and sisters, you need to know that that same Jesus that they are following is the same one that we are. 
They understand and they lay their life down, as many of us here have. But something that we need to consider is, do we actually surrender ourselves to Christ? Or do we wear Him like He's just some flippant badge that we get to claim from week to week? Many of you are familiar with the Coast Guard, and we know what they do as they go out into treacherous seas to save people who have been stuck out there. But what's interesting is their interaction with people is that for somebody who is stuck in that situation, they need to be wholly surrendered to the person that is coming to their rescue. When you read about the trouble that they run into is that there are many an individual who don't get saved even though their rescuer is sitting right there because they cannot submit themselves to the requirements to be rescued. As they're left stranded and they're left with the sinking ship because it's too great a danger for that person to grab hold of them and take them out. Now we do know that there are some ways that they can forcibly remove someone, but still the reality exists that if you want to be saved, you have to be surrendered to the rescuer. Spiritually speaking, are we surrendered to our rescuer Christ? This is where the road of teaching and preaching comes in is in teaching. We lead you through the Word so that you can understand who Jesus is. We lead you through the Word so that you could know what Jesus came to accomplish. We lead you through the Word so you could understand that Jesus is, in fact, capable of doing that work. Then we transition into the preaching to encourage you emphatically to surrender to your Rescuer and Savior. That is the difference between teaching and preaching as we look at what Jesus was doing here as he was teaching those in Galilee, as he was teaching those in Capernaum who he was, leading them through the word to show them who he is and what he's come to accomplish and what he's come to do and then still preaching. Remember, Jesus is preaching, repent so that you would be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the vine. And Jesus has been going around these areas communicating these truths and then it says that he goes on to heal every disease and affliction in the latter half of verse 35. But what's interesting here is that Jesus is, remember, Jesus is still teaching and preaching and healing. These three things are all happening at the same time. But I think oftentimes we oversimplify a text like this is that, all right, well, Jesus is teaching and Jesus is preaching and Jesus is healing. So all of these people are heaven bound. There is nowhere in Scripture that applies that every interaction that Jesus has with a person leads them towards heaven. He points them there. He points them to him, but not every single one of these people is completely healed. And I bring that up because I heard a commentary very recently about the ministry of healing by a very popular commentator. And I'm not going to say his name because I actually respect him very much. But what I would caution you is that biblically, not everything is as black and white as we would like it to be. When it comes to the ministry of healing and when it comes to the ministry of Applying hands for somebody to be made well, it is not always black and white. But this commentator would say that every single person that Jesus would interact with was made completely well. They were wholly healed and perfect. Not perfect, but 
made well, right? Made whole. And you know, physically speaking, this is true. Last week, we made the, we made the distinction and the difference between a physician and a healer. A, vis, a physician might distract you from the pain that is at hand, but a healer actually makes well that which is broken. Jesus is a healer. However, not everybody was made completely well spiritually speaking. And so some of you would ask, Pastor, where in the world are you getting that from? Well, flip with me over to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, 11 is where we will begin. If you're there, would you say amen? It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now pause right there. You hear this cry out to the Lord. They even say this phrase, Master, as they beg for healing. Right? We can't acknowledge that initial cry. But what's interesting, what we're getting ready to look at, is the response of the few compared to the many as they have been healed by Christ. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This phrase, your faith has made you well, Jesus only says it to a few throughout the Gospels. This man was made completely well. He was healed physically, just like the rest of the ten. But of the ten, only one of them hears this sentence, your faith has made you well. This man has been made physically well and has been made spiritually whole. As we're looking at the requirements of what teaching and preaching are and what they point to, and as we look at what salvation is, we can only confidently say that one of the ten have been made completely well by Christ. And the reason I bring that up is as we're looking at these things and looking at the ministry of Jesus, there are many of us, as we come to church, we have emotional and spiritual experiences. And I cannot say that your emotional and your spiritual experience did not happen. But your emotional and spiritual experience does not validate that you are in fact saved. What validates that you are heaven-bound is that you would be surrendered to the God who made you well, Christ Jesus. If there is any doubt in your mind whether you have been made holy well, go back to the Lord who you've heard proclaim the truth. Find yourself at His feet so that He would say to you, your faith has made you well. This is a tangible reminder of the narrow gate that comes before heaven. A touch from Jesus may not be salvific and neither may a word, 
but surrender to his lordship provides surety to the disciple of Jesus. And so I think the first big question of today is, are we surrendered to his lordship? We've heard his teaching, we've heard the preaching, we've heard who Jesus is, and we know who he is according to Scripture, but are we truly surrendered? Then verse 36 and 37, as we look back at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 9, 36, I'm going to ask again, if you're there, would you say amen? It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We're going to see a few things here, but mainly where is our compassion? Compassion for a wandering people. Now, as we look at this word compassion this morning, typically, if you were to look this word up today, the definition is that you would be sympathetic and have pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. That's the definition that you will find. But here, as we look at the Greek, and I'm not going to try to pronounce this word. I'm going to do you that favor this morning. When they were trying to communicate this word compassion, they had to be inventive with the translation because there isn't necessarily a word that captures what it is that Jesus felt for the people of this time or at this time. This word compassion, to their point, means to be moved as to one's bowels. To be moved with compassion for it to be a guttural feeling, a stomach-turning hurt for those that he sees are wandering and lost. This example we see here, Jesus doesn't have just general compassion like we might have for those that we see in some movie or an article or like the video that we saw. Jesus' stomach would turn as he sees his creation wander and stray in a way that he did not design them to be. As he sees them being led away by false teaching and horrible examples, Jesus' gut would turn to know that they are separate from him as they have been created to communicate with him, to have relationship with him. His heart is devastated. So when we talk about compassion, this is the kind of compassion we're talking about. Not just a flippant, oh, that's a sad circumstance. But does our gut turn? Is our heart devastated for those who are lost and who are separated from their creator? Now I bring this up because as... <clears throat> as we see the world continue to head in the direction that it's in, and it was, we continue to see this political divide and this gap become further and further and further between political parties. I'm not about to get political here, but there's a point to be made. Is that we as people are inclined 
to not just pick a side, but to cheer when we see the other fall and fail. There are many of us, when we turn on the news and as we begin to see the repercussions of sinful decisions hit them, we would cheer and say, well, serves them right for having horrible ideas. There have been documentaries about churches that have come out who have had poor leadership, and there would be Christians who would celebrate at the idea that, well, I'm glad it finally came to them. There will be cities that fall and countries that fall and people separate, su- celebrate at the suffering that the Lord has allowed to come unto their lives. And I would challenge us this morning that if we can look at the falling and failing and suffering of anybody for their decisions, we might lack the compassion of Christ. Because notice, Jesus is looking at a people who could know him. They've chosen not to. Scripture tells us that they have opted to be enemies of him. But still, he looks on them with compassion. As we look at the other churches in our neighborhood, we like to divide ourselves for all these doctrinal and really meaningless, at the end of the day, reasons. rather than having compassion for those that would come into their doors and hoping that they would be ministered to. Man is fantastic at creating division. Man is fantastic at applying their own standard, and man is amazing at lacking compassion. But that is not the heart of our God. We have an amazing example of this in the Old Testament. I'm going to have you flip one more time to Genesis chapter 18. And we see Abraham do something amazing. And I think we're, I believe we're going to look at Abraham, or no, I believe and know we should look at Abraham because when we see who Abraham is petitioning for, it should remind us of who we should be petitioning for, even though they are opposed within every moment of ideology somebody could have. So here in Genesis 18, verse 22, if you're there, would you say amen? Abraham has been made aware of God's plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah were, was an atrocious city. It was full of Sin to say the least. I don't, I don't actually believe there are many places here on this earth who have achieved this level of sin. I think we have seen glimpses of it. However, we have not seen fire fall down yet. I would note that. But here, Abraham has been made aware that when he receives Lot and his family that Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed... And what we're going to read is that your memory might say that Abraham is pleading for the life of Lot and his family, but God has already guaranteed the life of Lot and his family. Consider the city, consider the people, consider their behavior, consider their lifestyle as we read what we're about to read. So Genesis 18, 22 
So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, we're going to pause right there. Abraham is petitioning for the lives within this city. And we know that because of what's about to happen next. He comes and says this prayer to the Lord. Lord, I know you, I know you well, and it's not like you to destroy the righteous. If there are 50 within this city, would you consider sparing it? This man of God is petitioning for the sinner that they would be given another day. And the Lord hears his prayer. And the Lord says, if there are 50, I will spare the city. Now Abraham, knowing Sodom and Gomorrah, knows that there are not 50 there. This is how we know that Abraham knows what the realistic situation is. But he grieves for the souls in this city. And so, as we continue, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And Abraham knows again that there are not even forty-five. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abraham again said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place, Abraham gives us a wonderful display of what it is to be burdened for the lost. We have been so conditioned by the way of this world that we would even pray for the demise of the wicked. Now, I would say that I believe that the Christian is called and should pray for God's justice. But praying for justice and praying for the sinner's demise are very different things. 
Abraham's petitioning to God, knowing full well that there are not even 20 there, but he's so desperate to not see death fall upon them that he's imploring to God, please consider saving them. We live in a culture where we're watching a very similar mindset come against the church. And there are many within the church who are praying for their demise and destruction. And I would challenge you, Christian, if you are in fact bearing the cross of Christ, to not pray for their demise, but pray that they would see another day so that they would have the opportunity to hear about God's good grace. God did not create anyone in this world to see destruction. He created them so that they would be saved. He created them so that they would have relationship with him to know what it is to live life full of abundance. Who are we? Those of us who have received this immeasurable grace and mercy to even consider that somebody else should not. I understand many of us have been wronged and many of us are, have been opposed. But you opposed God once. You opposed God many times. But here you sit today because our God is full of grace and mercy. Somebody petitioned for you Young man and woman here in this church, you have to know somebody in your life has been petitioning for you. You who are older, somebody petitions for you today, and you know what? If you don't know who that person is, scripturally, you at least know that Christ is petitioning for you in heaven right now. Not everybody in here may be a child of God but everyone in here is absolutely loved by God. And his heart is broken. And he has compassion for you who are lost. In church, do we have compassion for the lost today? The falling churches, cities, and nations should not be celebrated, but they should be grieved Every life lost is a missed opportunity for us to have prayed for them when we celebrate those moments. We turn on the news and grin a little when we see the repercussions of sin fall on a person's life. That is not the voice of God that's encouraging you to grin. That is your pride. God never looked down and smiled upon the suffering of his creation. He grieves. And there's ministry in abundance. Remember, Jesus is just ministering within Capernaum in Galilee. And he's kept busy. At the end of the book of Matthew, he's going to send the disciples out to make sure that they proclaim the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And we would see that the ends of the earth is accomplished with the ministry of Paul. Brothers and sisters, do we have compassion and are we utilizing that compassion to serve the lost, to serve one another? That is our call as believers, 
to not just be surrendered, but to be moved with compassion into service. The video is nice, but we shouldn't need an HBO documentary to get out of our seats. The Word of God is sufficient enough to drive us spiritually forward to serve with every aspect of our life. The church shouldn't need to beg for your service as ministry is lacking. You should be compelled to do so without a request. The leaders of the church should actually have the problem of asking you to slow down, yet that is not the plea of the minister today. Where is our compassion? And then verse 38, as we bring this to a close. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we've been challenged by Jesus himself to pray for those that would minister to the lost. To pray for those who would minister to the flock. People were not created to wander without a shepherd. They were created to be able to follow and look to Christ, to have direction, to have leadership, to have vision. And you, church, are absolutely called to serve within that vision. And so the closing questions are the closing thoughts for church today. Do we lack service because we actually lack compassion for the lost and for one another? That may be why we don't serve. It's because I've never looked at the lack within the church and I've never looked at the lost outside of it and thought Jesus loves them. I've never considered Christ's compassionate heart for those that I walk past. And I would say today, if that's something that you've never even considered, pray and consider it today. You can no longer move forward blissfully in ignorance. I have ruined that for you forever. But church, there are many of you who are new here. And there are many of us who are going to move on to a new church soon as we're moving and moving to other cities and moving to other churches. Why does the ministry need to beg for your service? Would you be an answer to the prayer as we begin to pray in a moment for the hands to minister to those that need to be ministered to? And young people in this room, youth, for those of you who don't know, we purposefully do not do youth service here at the same time of service because this church is yours too. If you're still in high school and younger and you feel the Lord has called you to serve somehow, whether it be in worship, whether it be AV, greeting, coffee, wherever it is, come and speak to us too. God created you to serve as well. Ministry is not just for the adult. Ministry is for all those who call on the name of Christ. And we would love to minister alongside and lead you. All the adults would agree here and say, Amen. That was weak. I'm trying to get the teens here, guys. All the adults would agree and say, Amen. All right, see, they like you. Pretend better next time. Jeez.
Let's pray that we would have the kind of compassion Jesus had for us, brothers and sisters. And so with that, we're going to stand and pray for that together as I invite the worship team back up. But as we always do after this moment of prayer, if anybody does need prayer for any ailment, for anything spiritual, for anything physical, we are up here to pray with you and over you. If there's anybody who needs prayer for anything, as the Word calls us to pray for one another, come and seek prayer this morning. And so, let's pray with hands lifted high as we bring service to a close. Father, Father, You have presented us Your Word that we would consider compassion today. That, Father, we stand here with arms and abandon knowing that we are in desperate need for You. Lord, both as we seek to be ministered to by You, but, Father, as we ask that You would teach us how to minister to one another and to minister to the lost, we surrender ourselves to You this morning. And so, Lord, as You've told us here in Your Word to pray for those who administer, Lord, that is what we do. Father, we've stood up here week in and week out and we've presented the call for help. But Lord, I'm ashamed to say I don't believe we've prayed and asked You for help to fill these needs. And so Lord, hear this church, Your body, is here asking that Lord, You would provide the laborers for the harvest is plentiful. Lord, as we leave and look out these front doors this morning, we see those who are wandering. We ask that you would give each and every one of us compassion to minister to them. That, Lord, you would install this kind of grief in us, that we would be so broken that we would be compelled to be your hands and feet to those who are not just physically suffering, but spiritually wandering. Lord, we ask all these things in your Son's precious and holy name. And all the saints agreed and said, Amen.